Merry Christmas, everyone. Welcome to the Cross to Crown podcast, episode 53. I am Doug Gooden. Thanks for joining me. Today, we are talking about spiritual leadership in the home, whatever that means, a crucial task that every elder needs to complete in the new year, and why you should be optimistic about 2020, or alternatively, what most Christmas carols get wrong. So grab your Bible and a cup of coffee and let's get to work. It's time to put on the mind of Christ. So here we are in this Christmas season, either uh, you have just celebrated it or you're about to, depending on when you listen to this podcast. I got to tell you, I love Christmas. Uh, Last night, I took my wife out uh, for a date to a local fondue restaurant here in Colorado Springs. And as we are sitting there enjoying our dinner together to hear uh, Christmas music blasting through, uh, it wasn't blasting, it was it was uh, softer, but hear it uh, coming through the speakers throughout the entire restaurant. Uh, you know, there were, there, they played the, uh, the secular Christmas carols, if you will, but also the Christian ones. And to hear this whole restaurant filled with people and they are hearing, Oh, Holy Night, Christ the Lord is born, uh, joy to the world. Uh, the Lord is come, let earth receive her king. It was, it was wonderful. And our waiter uh, said Merry Christmas to my wife and I as we were uh, leaving that evening, last evening. And so anyway, I just think that's, that's fantastic. Hey, before we uh, get to our main content today, I did want to ask a special request of you. Uh, if you follow Chris Fails and or New Covenant Theology Porch, NCT Porch, the uh, Facebook page, you know that he has uh, finally revealed publicly kind of what's going on with him. Uh, for those of you who are newer to the podcast, he was my co-host for the first 45 episodes or something like that. And uh, he's got some health issues that he's dealing with. So I would just ask you to pray for our brother, Chris, lift him up before the Lord for healing and uh, for courage and comfort as he leads his family and uh, does what he needs to do. So uh, if you just pause right now and pray for Chris, I would appreciate that. And so would he. All right, so as we get into the uh, the main portion of episode 53 here, I'm going to flip the order from the way we normally do this. Typically, I would start with the king's section or the manhood section, but today we're going to start with theology, and we're going to consider Isaiah 9. Now, you're familiar with this because it's a very popular verse at Christmas time, but let me ask you, Isaiah 9, for unto us a child is born. You know that, right? You know that from Handel's Messiah. You know that from Christmas cards. Uh, you know that because it is, uh, it's all over the place at Christmas. But do you know the rest of it? And do you really understand what is being predicted in Isaiah 9 and what it means for you and me today? Well, that's what I want to talk about uh, right now. So let me read uh, this, uh, the, these verses from Isaiah 9 that you're so familiar with. It says this, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given, and the government will rest on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it 
with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Now, again, we're all familiar with the the child is born because every time, every year, this time of year, we see the uh, the nativity scenes and we, we sing this and we hear this. This is a watershed moment in the history of mankind that Isaiah is predicting. So the context of Isaiah 9 is uh, the God's people, the Jews, are in darkness. And indeed, the whole world is in darkness. Uh, but God's people in particular, who had the promises, the covenants, the blessings of God, all of those things, they're in darkness because of their sin. And God's judgment is resting upon the the nation of Israel. But he says there's coming a time when those people living in darkness, the Jews in this case, are going to see a great light and light will shine on them and their gladness will increase. Uh, And then he gives a couple of uh, examples of gladness, like gladness at harvest, he says. This is back in uh, Isaiah 9 verse uh, 3. A gladness as of the harvest. Uh, in our day, harvest just doesn't mean anything, at least here in the West, in America, because you know every day is harvest. Every week is harvest. You go to uh, Walmart and you come home with groceries and it's, it's harvest. But if you can imagine an environment, uh, a culture where you, you planted your seed in the spring... And then you hoped and prayed for rain and that the heat wouldn't be devastating and that everything would come together just right. So you had a, a huge crop, which meant you got to eat for another year. And the bigger the crop, uh, the more you got to eat. And it was a time of great celebration when harvest came, if, uh, if it was a, a profitable uh, summer. So that's the idea. Gladness. We have food. We're going we're gonna to live another year. Uh, or he says, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. Again, that's not a common... Uh, idea for us. We don't go conquering other nations and then claim uh, the rewards, the spoils from the uh, the conquered armies, but uh, that's, that's the imagery of rejoicing that he's using. There's going to be great celebration coming for this people. And then he gets to verse uh, 6 that I read for, why? For a child is born to us. A son will be given to us. Now here's where it starts to get really good for you and me today in 2019. The government will rest on his shoulders or the rulership, the kingdom, the dominion. That child is going to have a kingdom put on his shoulders. Well, let me ask, is that future for you and me? No, that's going to happen when the child is born. When Jesus came, he began his rule, his dominion right then and there. The government will rest on his shoulders and his name will be called, and you know these, I'm sure, Wonderful Counselor. Now, in our culture, counselor makes you think of therapy. That's not what the word means in the Hebrew. This is a military strategist. This child, this son who is born, he is going to be a wonderful military strategist. He's a king. He's a warrior. He has a kingdom. He rules the government and he's going to be very, very good at at conquering his enemies. That's what Wonderful Counselor is getting at. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, this one's going to be God and Mighty God is often used to describe God and his his power and his dominion. uh, Everlasting Father, uh, don't be confused here. The son is not the father, but a father 
is one who cares for his family, for his household. He guards them. He protects them. He provides for them. That is what Jesus is going to do for his people. That's what this son, this child is going to do for his people. And prince of peace. Again, prince, king, uh, the heir of the kingdom. That's what a prince is. A prince of what? Prince of peace. And then he says, he'll sit on the throne of David over his kingdom to establish it, establish his kingdom, and to uphold it, uphold his kingdom with justice and righteousness. Again, I ask you, is that talking about our future? No. It's talking about the future of Isaiah when this child is born. So for 2,000 years, Jesus has been establishing and upholding his dominion, his kingdom, with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. Now, I skipped over a verse that I really want to highlight here. Verse 7 says, There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. No end to the increase of his government or of peace. Jesus was born 2,000 years ago. He died. He rose again and ascended to the right hand of the Father where he sits even now, reigning over heaven and earth. And for two millennia, his kingdom and peace have been increasing and there will be no end to it. My question is, do we believe that? And are we living as soldiers in his army, extending his dominion and his peace? Are we optimistic about 2020? If Jesus' kingdom and peace are expanding and will never end, we should be hopeful, joy-filled people expecting Jesus to drive out the kingdom of darkness and build his kingdom. And we should be working toward that end. Again, I want to I call your attention to a very popular passage this time of year from Luke chapter 2, the so-called Christmas story. Uh, and this is where so many Christmas carols really get it wrong. The whole feel is wrong. Uh, in my congregation, in my church, uh, every, every Christmas time, I make it a point to make sure that our people understand that Christmas is not cute. We see the baby in the manger and we think, oh, cute. No, Christmas is not cute. It's not all about a, a sweet little innocent baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and isn't that precious. And, and angels, we think of Clarence from It's a Wonderful Life and Clarence Pudgy. And he's, he's wimpy and he's got to earn his, his wings and all that. None of that is good. In fact, it distorts the truth. Angels in the scripture are terrifying. They provoke fear and awe. Uh, They they come with power and people are are rightly afraid of what this might mean that an angel showed up. So we sing uh, about angels uh, and and Gloria and, and all this, but we miss the real 
tone of what's going on at the Christmas story. So in chapter two, we've got the birth of Christ, the uh, census being taken, all of that. And then we, we come to the shepherds uh, watching their flight by night, their flock rather by night, as we all know. So the shepherds are out and in verse nine of chapter two, it says, an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terribly frightened. So first of all, uh, if you look back at the phrase angel of the Lord and glory of the Lord in the Old Testament, it is almost certainly true that this is God himself appearing before these shepherds. I know it says an angel of the Lord, but if you know Greek, you know that the, the article is sometimes left out and the Greek translation of the Old Testament, what we call the Septuagint, uh, many times where it is clear that the Lord showed up, that God himself showed up, it says, an angel of the Lord. Now, we would like it to say the angel of the Lord, or just uh, the um, just angel of the Lord, or Lord's angel, something like that. All that to say, and I won't spend any more time on the details, but I'm just telling you, angel of the Lord here, coupled with glory of the Lord, if you trace those phrases through, this is God himself showing up at the birth of his son, makes perfect sense that he would do that. And the shepherds are, are frightened. They're terrified as the Lord shows up. And his glory, it's, a, it's bright. It's, you know, they're out at night and it's this brilliant, refulgent light out of nowhere and God shows up. But then it says, the angel says, don't be afraid. So God says to them, don't be afraid. Why? Because today I bring you good news of great joy which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior. You see the the verbal ties there with Isaiah 9? There's born for you this child who's a Savior, who is Christ the Lord or Messiah the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And that's where all the songs, uh, that's what they all portray in the nativity scenes. But suddenly, it says, suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying. It does not say that a choir of angels showed up and started singing. I love the Christmas carol, angels we have heard on high, Gloria, Gloria. I love that, but it totally misrepresents the mood and the setting here. This is not a choir of angels. I was in choirs in college, and we were very good musically, and I enjoyed it. There's something about a choir and a good choir director and a a well-written choir piece. We've got all the different voices uh, blending together and soloing and harmonizing, all these things, and it's just wonderful, and it can provoke all kinds of emotions and responses in the hearers. But one thing that a choir does not do is provoke terror and fear in the audience. This army, I just gave it away, this host of angels struck terror in the hearts of the shepherds. Why? Not because they were singing, not because they were a choir. doesn't say that in the text anywhere. Because they were an army. That's what hosts means. Uh, If you recall, back in Isaiah 9, and I... Moved away from there, so I got to go back. At the end of, uh, of the section that I read in Isaiah 9, it says, the zeal, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. 
The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish the ever-expanding kingdom of this child who's going to be born. Host in the scripture means army. The Lord of hosts, Sabaoth, the Lord Sabaoth means army, armies, the, the captain of or the general of the armies. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Here, the, the host of angels, the army of angels shows up to proclaim something about the birth of Jesus to these shepherds. So imagine in your mind's eye, not a bunch of angels singing up in the sky over these shepherds, but an army, military dressed, uh, terrifying creatures, not singing, but shouting like a, like a military entourage. A, a, I don't know if you've seen, like in the movies, you've seen a, a portrayal of a general who gives a, a rallying cry or a really moving speech to the troops and to the onlookers. And then the, uh, the army cries out, huzzah, 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 kind of thing. And, and it's, it, wow, it's, 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 it's impacting. It's powerful. It's that kind of thing. This this army of angels is saying, shouting out, glory to God in the highest, glory to God in the highest, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among men. Why are they saying peace on earth among men? Because that's exactly what Isaiah said this child would do. He would bring a kingdom of peace that would never end. It would grow and grow and grow and grow. And for 2,000 years, that's exactly what has happened. How many millions, if not billions of Christians are there on the planet today? His peace is growing. His kingdom is growing. We are fighting, you and I, our army soldiers in his army, fighting against the kingdom of darkness, against the, the prince of the power of the air to bring people into his kingdom. And it's going to work. Jesus wins. His kingdom expands forever and ever and ever. It grows and grows and grows and grows. I want to ask you, are you optimistic about 2020, this new year of our Lord Jesus Christ? You realize that's what we're celebrating, right? The whole Western world is celebrating 2020, 2020 years from what? From the birth of this child who is now king, whose kingdom is expanding. And my question is, are we optimistic? Are we looking for opportunities to build his kingdom? kingdom. We have to be about this. We have the promise, the prediction, the prophecy, his kingdom, and the increase of his kingdom and the increase of his peace will never end. So what are you going to do about it in 2020? Let me tell you how this, uh, how this is working just in my life recently. A couple of months ago, my financial planner invited me to go to a baseball game. He uh, he has tickets to the uh, Colorado Rockies, and I'm not a particularly uh, big fan of the Rockies, but I'm from St. Louis, and I'm a huge St. Louis Cardinals fan. So he knew that, and uh, so he invited me to join him uh, with uh, to, with some other guys to the Cardinals Rockies game. Well, uh, we have an hour, 15-minute drive up to Coors Field from Colorado Springs. Uh, so uh, these other guys, uh, his other clients, we met each other. We talked along the way uh, in that hour or so drive. And of course, we talked baseball and other things, but it didn't take long to get into a, a variety of topics like what do you do for a living and such. Anyway, so there's this one man uh, who he and I really kind of uh, hit it off, and he started describing... Uh, some things that uh, he's dealing with. 
and uh, and you know it came out that I was a pastor, and so he, he and he's not a Christian, but he asked my advice on some things that he's dealing with regarding his family. So I gave him some advice and told him that as the as the man of the home, he really needs to step up and lead. And uh, and he was curious about what that looks like and what the impact of that would be on his wife and and kids and his mom and so on. So long story short, uh, he and I met for uh, lunch shortly thereafter. Uh, oh, no, it wasn't lunch. He, he came to my office. That's what it was. He came to my office, and then he brought his wife, and uh, I talked to her, and, and we did some marriage and family counseling there. And uh, I just continued to pursue them. Uh, my wife and I had them over for dinner a couple of weeks ago, and it was wonderful, and found out that uh, they just are, they're a blank slate. They know nothing about Christianity. Literally with uh, his wife, when I started talking about the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve, they had no idea. Just that they didn't know any of the story. And so I preached the gospel to them from uh, Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and then got to the New Testament as well. And now they are attending our East Campus over on the other side of town from where, where I uh, serve. Um, and they're continuing to follow along in the sermon series. We're going to meet with him again. My wife is considering discipling, well, I guess evangelizing and discipling his wife, and I'm going to continue to meet with him. But we want to get them plugged into the other campus and let someone over there take it, take it on. This afternoon, in just a couple hours from uh, now, when I'm talking to you, uh, so this woman has a, a a friend, I don't know how close they are, but a friend that she meets at a local gym and they're having marriage problems. And she said, Hey, I met this guy that you guys should talk to. So this afternoon, I'm meeting with this woman and her husband to do some marriage counseling. And they are not Christians and they're just needing help in their marriage. And so obviously I'm going to try to help their marriage, but most importantly, I'm going to preach Christ to them. So here from one baseball game with my financial planner, there are two couples now that I have the opportunity to speak into, to preach the gospel to, and I'm praying for the, the Holy Spirit to, to grant them new life, and they would come to faith in Christ. And I'm hopeful and optimistic because the increase of the government of Jesus Christ and his peace will never come to an end, and this is how he expands his kingdom through the gospel. So let me ask you, friend, who are you going to lead to the kingdom in 2020? How will you build the kingdom? How will you be a fulfillment of this prediction in Isaiah 9 that there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace? All right, so we come to the Kings section of episode 53, and I want to build on what I was talking about in the theology section and talk primarily to men who are husbands and fathers, men who are heads of household. One of the chief ways in which Jesus builds his kingdom and expands his peace is through the head of the household. Uh, so if you're a husband and father, you have been called, you've been recruited, drafted, if you will, uh, into Jesus's army to fight the kingdom of darkness. And you are to do that by training up your family and leading your family and ruling over your family so that they reflect 
Christ and they become their own households and penetrate the the kingdom of chaos and and submit it to the kingdom of peace. That's what we're supposed to do. And I want to uh, contrast that with this idea that men are the spiritual leaders in their home. What does that even mean, spiritual leader? I'll tell you what it sounds like to me and what I believe it sounds like to most men. When we are told, and this is, this is a complementarian concept. I, I don't know if I have uh, spoken of this too much, but you know, in the, in the Southern Baptist Convention, for instance, with Beth Moore and some of those things that we've talked about, uh, there's this increasing um, debate about complementarian uh, theology, and uh, and there are soft complementarians, and and I guess hard complementarians, and and egalitarians, all this stuff. And I I'm just not a big fan of the word complementarian and the whole concept. Even the Danvers statement, if you're familiar with that, where uh, complementarianism kind of rose from, and, and they were good men, John Piper and Wayne Grudem and others, good men who were part of all this. But the whole tone and tenor of that statement, um, I believe, took a, a too soft and unbiblical view of the role of the man, and the whole thing was framed in such a way as to not, um, not to make women upset. That's how it comes across to me, at least. We want to be true to the Bible, but we got to be very careful uh, not to Rise, raise the the uh, ire of women, and we want to we want to make sure that when we talk about uh, you know men and male dominance or or headship or whatever, we we we're not we, we don't we're not down on women. That that's kind of the mindset. Well, that's not the tone the scripture takes. But coming out of that was this uh, this idea that men are the spiritual leaders, and what that typically means for most men is uh, your job is to uh, to make sure that your family goes to church. And that you lead uh, family devotions, you know, a few days a week at least, several days. Whether it's praying with the kids when they're little before they go to bed, doing the Jesus Storybook Bible, or as they get older to lead them in a Bible study, that kind of thing. But we're spiritual leaders, so we are supposed to make sure that uh, our kids um, sit quietly and listen. Maybe we do family worship, which is uh, very popular, and especially the more conservative reform groups. So I'm gonna I'm gonna get out my guitar or play CD, and we're gonna sing together. And and I'm the spiritual leader, and that's what I do. Well, sure, but the Bible doesn't say, husbands, you are the spiritual leader of your wife or the spiritual leader of your children. That's not the terminology. The Scripture says the man is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head. Of the church. Headship implies and involves rulership, authority, those kinds of things. And over what? Well, this the this same passage I'm referring to in Ephesians 5 says wives are to submit to their husbands in everything, not just in family devotions, not just in praying before meals, in everything she's to submit to him. That's because he is given as her head over everything. He is the Lord of the manor, the master of the house. The house, the manor, everything includes, everything includes the whole of our existence. Uh, I'm not supposed to just lead my family in devotions and send my kids to youth group and all that. I'm responsible for everything that happens in my household. We've talked about this before. Think back to the Garden of Eden. 
Eve sinned against God. Eve was the first one to commit sin. When God showed up and called the family to account, he did not ask for Eve, even though she's the first one who sinned. He asked for Adam because Adam was the head of his wife and he is the responsible leader, ruler of the household. And when God showed up to say, what's going on in this household? He said, Adam, where are you? I'm going to talk to you. When Paul says in, in Romans 5 that the entire um, world was thrust into God's judgment and sin and death, all of that came as a result not of Eve's sin, even though she sinned first, but a result of Adam's sin because he was the head of the whole human race. He was responsible for all of us. We are obligated as men to rule over our households and to to act responsibly and and give an account for everything. So uh, I am called to make sure that my wife supports my mission. Again, going back to the garden, Adam was put in the garden and given a mission and Eve was created to help him, to be his help mate in his mission. It's my job as the head of my household to train my wife, to lead her, to, to equip her and call her not just invite, but call her to support my mission. She's my helpmate. That's why God gave her to me. And it's your responsibility, man, husband, to train your wife to support your mission. It's my job to teach my kids everything in life, not just go through long story short, as wonderful as that devotional is for younger kids. I'm responsible for everything. Just this morning, I started an economics class, if you will, with my kids during our um, breakfast, our family breakfast time. We do our family stuff in the morning. And uh, our devotionals for the foreseeable future is going to be basic economics. No kidding. So we started talking about uh, what economics really is, and it's not just about money. And we talked about the difference between price and cost. And the cost of things for a producer is not simply the, the money that it uh, costs them to produce this thing, but there's also a cost in that every dollar spent to produce this is a dollar that is not spent to produce that. And we talked about supply and demand and unmet needs and how the government uh, gets into things it has no business getting into and how that causes economic problems and raises uh, prices and, and how that impacts the whole culture. It's my job as dad to make sure my kids understand how economics work. And that means I got to learn. So I had to go and, and buy a basic economics book and refresh my memory. It's been years since I've studied these things to any degree and get the terms right and get the illustrations. That's my job because my kids are going to be adults one of these days living in this world uh, that has an economy and they need to understand how it works so they make good financial decisions, so they make good political decisions. Decisions. It's also my job to, to teach my kids about politics. You know, we, we, uh, when I'm recording this, it's the day after the, uh, the impeachment vote in the House. 
It's my job to make sure that my children understand what was happening in that whole thing, uh, what both sides are uh, are arguing for, what they're trying to accomplish. The fact that it was completely split down party lines that means something. And we talked about President Trump and uh, and and all the impacts of of what's happening and how this is going to impact 2020 and the election cycle. That's all my job to help my children live in this world under the lordship of Jesus. Uh, in, a, in a democracy or a republic that has this kind of uh, shenanigans going on. I have to do that. I have to teach them and lead them. Uh, productivity. Uh, my kids need to be productive in the kingdom of Jesus. It's my job to teach them how to be productive, to hold them to account, to motivate them, and that kind of thing. Uh, down to, to other uh, financial things in our home. For instance, uh, if your wife buys a $5 gift card, for someone for Christmas, and then spends $25 shipping it to that person in Pennsylvania, that's not a good economic and financial decision. And that's your responsibility as the man of the home to educate and hold your family to an account so that that kind of money is not wasted. Now, I'm not speaking from direct experience there, uh, but we did have a conversation like that here in the last couple of days. On and on the list could go. But I want you as a man to understand, and, and obviously in this section, I'm, I'm talking to uh, men who are husbands and fathers, uh, but even if you're just a husband, or if you're going to be a husband someday and a father someday, you need to understand that you need to own this. It is your responsibility to rule over everything that happens in your home, not just spiritually, everything is spiritual. And you are to equip the next generation of soldiers to fight the good fight of Jesus Christ because there's no end to his kingdom and his peace. Well, that's my job. That's your job as a man to make sure that the household is ordered under the authority of King Jesus. So I'm asking you, gentlemen, to think through 2020. What are you going to do? How are you going to do this? How are you going to take charge of yourself and your household and so on? So I want to help you in 2020, and uh, I'm not going to give you any more details than this, but listen to next week's podcast, because one of the ways I want to help you is to do a free book giveaway, and that will be tied to some of these themes that we're discussing here. So uh, pay attention next week for that free book giveaway opportunity for you. Uh, But in the meantime, be thinking about and praying about your job as head of household, as ruler over your wife and children as we head into the year of our Lord Jesus 2020. All right, so we come to our last segment of episode 53, and, uh, and it's the shepherds section where I talk about eldership and pastoral ministry. And I'm going to keep this pretty brief today. I really just want to uh, encourage and admonish every elder listening to this to do something in 2020 that uh, will have a massive impact on your ministry and on the the expansion of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to read from 2 Timothy chapter 2, two verses that I'm sure you know, uh, but they will set the tone for what I want to urge you toward. So Paul says this to Timothy, You, therefore, my son, 
be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust them to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So many things about this I love. Paul talks to Timothy and calls him his son. He's, he's his son in the faith. Paul is his spiritual father, his, his, uh, his mentor, the provider, protector, all the things that a father is to be. That's what he has done for Timothy. He's, he's discipled him. He's raised him up. He's ruled over him uh, in the things pertaining to God and, and so on, as we talked about in the last segment. Uh, so he, he's loved Timothy like a son, but now Paul knows his days are numbered. He knows he's a He's soon going to join the Lord Jesus in heaven. And he says to Timothy, everything you've heard me teach, you teach those things to other men who will teach other men. You see that? Timothy, if you're going to be like me, your father in the faith, you are going to have sons in the faith who will have sons in the faith. You will teach and train other men who will teach and train other men. We must do that as elders. Uh, No one else is going to do it. No one else is going to raise up elders unless it's elders. So if you are a pastor, a bishop, an elder, I urge you pick two or three potential elders. And right now, pause this podcast, unless you're driving, wait till you get to a stopping point. Pause your podcast, pause the podcast, get out your to-do list, pick two or three potential elders, and set a reminder to invite them to lunch or to dinner or some get-together coffee or something where you begin a a father-son relationship with them where you teach and train them how to become elders. Obviously, that does not mean they will. They have to meet the qualifications. There's some scrutinizing, some evaluating to go on, and you need the other elders with you to to sign off on that. But if you're not intentional about pouring into some young men, uh, or they don't have to be that young, uh, it's not going to happen. Again, I, I said this last time, last week, but but think of it again. What would what would be different about your church if in the in 2020? You had two or three new, qualified, godly elders to add to your elder board. Your ministry would be much stronger in 2021 if you spend the time investing in elders in 2020. Much stronger. The the division of labor, more men doing all the things that elders need to be doing. Think about the impact you can have on the sheep if you were to add a couple of elders in 2020. It's not going to happen if you as an elder are not intentional about recruiting them and training them. And elder training is best done by current elders. There needs to be some formal education where uh, maybe you teach a Sunday school class where they are at and invite others to join you. Maybe you go through books together uh, as a group. You know, you invite these two or three men together to get together every week or every two weeks, and you're going to go through some books together. And then personal and informal fellowship. They need to come hang out with you. You need to have them in your home watching you interact with your wife and your children. Uh, They need to sit in on on sermon prep. They need to sit in on elder meetings. They need to be around you as you're living life as an elder so they can see what it's like and learn how you handle things. 
one of the reasons that we started in my church, the New Covenant School of Theology, to train elders and pastors in our church was because we also, uh, part of our, our principle is to train them in ministry, to have them involved in every aspect of ministry. Because the, the traditional seminary training where you go off to an academy for three or four years and learn theology, and then there's usually a mentorship along the way or a, um, a, um, an internship or, or something along those lines where you have to do a few things for a local church. But that's not nearly as good as actually being immersed in church life while you're training and studying and learning the theology. Uh, Every elder needs to be doing this to some degree. In fact, in our day, getting theological training is is pretty easy because there are great resources all over the place online. What a guy cannot get so easily is actually walking along with an elder, learning from him day in and day out. We've got to do that, men. The church needs to get stronger and it needs stronger leaders in order to get stronger. And a key area is training up elders. So I'm asking you, I'm, I'm admonishing you as a fellow elder, pick two or three men who you will commit to recruiting and training to eldership in 2020. Again, does that mean that those two or three are all going to become elders? No. But no, no, none of this is going to happen if you do not pursue recruiting, training, mentoring elders. So take what you've learned, pass it on to some others who will pass it on to others. It starts in 2020. Well, that wraps up episode 53. I appreciate you joining me uh, for this time today. Uh, As always, I encourage you to uh, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't done that already, so that when next week's pops up, it's right there in your uh, player. Uh, Be great if you would rate it and leave a a review on iTunes uh, for what we're doing here at the Cross Crown Podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Doug Gooden, at D-O-U-G. G-O-O-D-I-N. You can follow Cross to Crown Ministries on Facebook. And uh, be sure to come back and listen next week as we get more details out about the detail for the free book giveaway. So until then, live intentionally Christ-obsessed in all things. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year.